guys, it's Christian Babcock from the Hunter's Advantage podcast at the Hunter's Advantage. Our goal is to provide you with the best advice and insight from hunting industry professionals, and hopefully you would use that knowledge or advantage on your next adventure. This week on the podcast, I interviewed Jake Major, the owner of Cobra Archery. We discussed how to read a whitetail buck's personality, Cobra's new releases for 2019, and what's next for Cobra Archery. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Jake Major, the owner of Cobra Archery, um, here to talk about uh, what what Cobra Archery is up to this year. So, uh, just for people that are listening, could you tell us maybe a little bit what you do day to day and your title and position? Okay, um, I'm a owner. Uh, there was three of us, uh, three owners. It's myself, my wife, and our niece Tanya. Day to day operations would be, you know, managing inventory, managing orders. Uh, dealing with uh, vendor reps, dealing with uh, machinists, dealing with engineers, uh, doing product research, patent research, legal research, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff on a day-to-day basis. You know, and you always have stuff to pop up out of nowhere you don't expect. Hey, I need this. Hey, I need that. Or right. we're going to take care of this or take care of that. Um, but I, basically, the, the, the biggest thing was, was managing uh, information flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, orders coming in we have rep groups throughout the country that have various questions or they have various dealers that, hey listen jake the the dealers want to want to talk to you you know one-on-one and you know i make those phone calls too uh get with those guys um a little bit of, uh about myself um born and raised on a farm uh we were blessed to be able to buy the farm beside my parents farm uh that worked out really well i've been there for on that farm now for almost 20 years. I started bow hunting when I was 14. Um, I've just been a, a blood in the eyes bow hunter ever since. Uh, the good Lord has granted me with a mechanical mind of, of design and mechanics. Yeah. I, have, I have a degree in drafting and design, so that, that helps spark. And, and all the design work I do, I do myself. And then I'm not 100% clear on... Um, elasticity of metals, uh, friction of metals, um, tolerances of metals when it comes to machining. So I rely on someone else to help guide me when it comes to fitting parts, mating parts of different metals. Okay. Uh, I have an engineer out of Washington State that I, I get involved with when it comes to that. And then we have local machinists. We have five machine shops within a stone's throw of our shop. Oh, cool. So, so and, and I rely on those guys all the time for information and samples and whatnot we have a couple local guys that makes all of our samples for us Mm -hmm. so we can you know test test run all the samples you know and then go into production um you know like right now uh for this time of season is the show season uh so there's a lot of trade shows a lot of consumer shows right now we have a group uh staffed down at, at a consumer show one of the biggest ones in the entire country um, take a place right now. And then this week you have a bunch of the trade shows, buying group shows. ATA was back in, uh, back in January. So we'll wrap up with the shows here, the end of March. And then, uh, we'll start with our, our April 1st orders and it'll probably be busy the rest of the season. So, um, you talked about buying Cobra Archery and there was three owners. So could you walk me a little bit through, uh, you know, what was the inspiration behind buying Cobra and when did that happen? Um, yeah, I can kind of, we, we, before Cobra, we have, um, two other businesses as well. Mm-hmm. We have a pro shop. It's a full hunting, you know, it's 
hunt and fishing camp and an archery pro shop we have. And then we have a franchise as well that's unrelated to the industry. Mm -hmm. And because I was mechanically inclined and I was a bow hunter, I was always making my own stuff. That's just yep. what I, you know, I've been shooting my own, my own gear for, for years. And I knew if I had an opportunity to, to get into the industry, that would be one of the avenues that I would, I would go in is in the, on the release side of it, just because my, that's yep. the way, that's where my mind goes. Um, and, uh, we, through the industry, we deal with the reps and, and the reps knew that we were looking and we're looking to, to get involved somehow in the industry at a deeper level. Mm-hmm. And one of our reps we deal with, it comes in and we buy a lot of products through. He said, Hey, listen, you know, they represented Cobra, you know, for many years. And they said, Hey, listen, the, the owners are looking to, uh, get out because they have four or five other, other businesses, um, that they're, they're better suited for. Um, the previous owners, unfortunately were not hunters and mm-hmm. motivators and they kind of just relied on everybody else to run it it was kind of more of a an investment than it was a, a lifestyle yeah and, and kind of you know cobra kind of went down over the course of years and and we watched it go down as well and we had the opportunity to pick it up and i knew there was a lot of potential there because the distribution was already in place yeah okay? and the name recognition was already in place it's just a matter of revitalizing those two channels and mm-hmm. um and to, to go from there i mean it's it's much easier to a, a acquire a business that already has distribution channels set in place you know dealing with all the big box stores dealing with all the dealers it, it's already set in place versus if you're straight out of the box you're unknown it's a much harder climb mm-hmm. you know it's a you know it's a climb either way but um instant recognition is is definitely makes things easier okay mm-hmm. have we just started making releases and we called them jake major releases now that'd be a little different program to get to get and you know get rolling so you know that's the inspiration behind it. we always want i always wanted to get to do this and it wasn't it's not a um a company that it's a it's it's a lifestyle company it's not an investment company you know you right r- ramp it up blow it up and then sell it off that's not our style it's a lifestyle company that, that we will run and, and have, and it's, you know, it's, it's family owned. Yeah. No, I remember a time, um, actually my first bow ever had a, had Cobra sights on it, you know, three pin Cobra sights, um, that my uncle gave me. <laughs> yeah. So I, I remember Cobra. And so I, I remember seeing your, you know, your new branded logo and, you know, the new hats and new releases. I was like, okay, Cobra, you know, they're up to something right now. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't quite get it. Cause I hadn't seen anything from Cobra in years. You know, yeah. so no, it's great to, it's great to see you guys back and rolling and releasing some really great products. So, um, you know, I want to ask you moving towards the market side of it is what, what voids did you see or what areas for growth did you see where you're like, I think I can fill these if I owned Cobra? Well, there's a, you know, after, you know, you know, bow hunting forever and then owning a shop yeah. and knowing what the customer feedback is like, um, the, the market got kind of stale. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to the release side, they got kind of to a point where like, Hey, you know, they took, it, it looked like they were just changing minutiae of the same releases the past four or five years, nothing real innovative. That's going to, you know, change the direction of, of how releases are looked at and how releases are used. Cause, and 
I have, I mean, can you, Christian, I got a stack of ideas four inches thick. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've been jotting down and putting together for 15, 20 years. Um, but there's, there's some voids there uh, when it comes to innovation. There's a lot that, that can be done, a tremendous amount that can be done. And, and we will be over the course of the next four or five years showing that we got stuff. We have products, you know, ready to go for the next easily for the next three. Yeah. Okay. So you use your, your, your mindset and your experience as a bow hunter, um, to remain, remain innovative in a market that, that isn't typically moving too quickly. Is that correct? Yeah. For the most part that's, but, um, my mind's also set for the mechanical side too, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you know, we use these products, you know, as you're out in the woods, like, man, if they just did this or just did that, this, this would be a lot better, you know, use a repetition, you know, makes you then think about it. Well, this could be better this way, or if it just wasn't this way, if it was this way, or if they made this shorter, longer, or if this had a better pivot point or better wear point, all that kind of stuff comes to mind. Um, Mm. but, um, I've been blessed with a creative mind to be able to have that ideas developed. I don't know how to describe it, but um, I'm just built for that is what I should say. You know, good Lord has blessed me with that. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to use that and and we're going to, we're going to propel Cobra forward in, in very unique ways. And I don't want to do design work Christian where it's just something different. It has to be an advantage. It has to be, make a difference it has to help you know or or you don't you don't build it you just don't want to build it just because it's different you need to build it because it serves a purpose and it helps the archer you know better function better longevity um helps them shoot better it's more accurate it's quiet everything in general you know it has it has to it has to enhance right so you talking about staying in tune um with the needs of customers you know through your pro shop and you know that gives you a I don't know, a pretty good thumb on what's going on. So, um, you know, what were you hearing from people maybe at trade shows, um, the ATA show, your pro shop, you know, of what they were wanting in a release? Um, a few good things. Um, they needed a, a release that had, you know, more than one use. Mm-hmm. Okay, That's why we, you know, we developed the, the switch. And, and that had been laying in the back of my mind for a couple of years, even before we had, we had Cobra. So, um, but, you know, you get you get constant feedback from the reps across the country. They're out visiting dealers every day. They're showing our products to the dealers and they're saying, hey, listen, if you could do this, you could do that. Or does it come with this or does it not come with that? You get a good feel with a, with our, our pro shop, the folks coming in. And I have a good group of guys that shoot our gear and I and I get honest feedback. Mm-hmm. They take it. They use it. Yeah, Jake, this is good. Yeah, Jake, this is bad. If you could remove this, add that. So, and then, you know, we have the consumer shows where you get good feedback from the consumers, direct from the consumers, then all the reps, and then we do our market research, and then we do our, you know, analyzation of uh, market studies, and, Mm -hmm. you know, just trying to bring it all together. It's not the easiest process in the world. Um, Like, here's here's one example. Um, We developed a switch this year. It's out. It's doing well. Our number one question, does it come with a lanyard? Well, no, it doesn't. That was our number one question. Does it come with a lanyard? So guys want a lanyard on it. You know, I, I, that's my fault. Missed it completely. 
but guarantee you next year it will have a lanyard coming with it and it'll mm-hmm. have a hook the lanyard to it that's the kind of feedback that and you know i want i want i want feedback i always want people to tell me listen please tell me what you think because i can't grow i can't fix what i don't know is broken so that helps develop everything forward with good feedback mm-hmm. well yeah maybe we could talk about the switch a little bit more in depth you know it's it's my number one release at the moment um it's what i'm shooting so uh, maybe you just give a little bit more detail of, of what the switch is and, and why it's great for not only hunting applications, but target shooters as well. Yeah. And, and it's, it's got a various uh, applications and I'll kind of walk you through it. Um, it is, it's a thumb release and it's a hinge release in one and you can switch from one to the other. And that's why we call it the switch. Now it has a couple of features in it that you don't find in other releases. Uh, a hinge release basically you can't find one that has a, a, a 360 degree rotating head. Ours has a rotating head. It's a single self-closing caliper. The standard uh, hinge release is a is a hook, and, mm-hmm. and basically for they're 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 tournament shooters. They're for spot shooters. They're for three deers. And there's a lot of guys that want to try it and want to know if they like it, um, but they don't want to spend the money on dropping a uh, $250 just to see if they like it or not. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of guys would, would use it and shoot it during the summer when they're hunting, when they're shooting 3d with their bodies on the weekend. And also it, um, it helps with my number one reason we wanted to develop. It's for the guys that, that suffer target panic. Um, thank God I've never experienced it, but I've seen a lot of guys go through it. Um, yeah. And it's it's a bad thing, and it, it it gets between a guy's ears, and it ruins him. So, um, if a if a gentleman's going through or a woman's going through some target panic issues, um, they can switch it over to a hinge, and they can work through that process and not know when it's going to go off. And it helps their confidence, and helps them shoot better. And when they're feeling better, they can go, you know, back to the thumb. And the process with the thumb and the switches is the guys can shoot three D in the summer, and now they can go into the woods. In the fall, shooting the exact same release, same draw mm-hmm. length, same weight, same feel, same everything. So, and up until now, you had to switch releases and have a different feel, different draw length, change your D loop, change your cams, just change everything just to get it to feel right. Um, and that's all going away. And the other thing that it does is it's also a trainer. You, you can clip it on your D loop. You put both both screws in, clip it on your D loop, and you can practice. And you can practice your draw. You can practice your mental mindset and 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 your and your body mechanics as you draw down, and not have to worry about firing it off or whatnot and and causing issues. You can stand right in a room in your house and do that um, mm-hmm. if you need to. You know, you always want to have a have an arrow on it and point in a safe direction if it ever went right. you know, something went wrong, uh, if you let go of it or whatever. Um, and then the other option that we really want to kind of let folks know is taking. The set screw out, taking that post out completely, because then you can draw and you can shoot it in either the hinge or the thumb position, and you can use both of those mechanics to fire it at the same time. So if you want to draw and shoot it, you can put pressure on with your thumb and tilt your wrist a little bit, or basically just grip the release just a little bit tighter. All you do is just mm-hmm. grip a little bit tighter, and it goes off. It makes for a really nice mechanical uh release on it 
And I may switch over to that because it's just, uh, it's a natural feel. It really is. It's just, you just grip it, the whole thing a little bit tighter, just a little bit, because the way the, the way the release is set up, it, the ratio to set the trigger off is now double because it's coming from both angles. Right. And it pushes the, what we call the plunger back quicker. Um, um, it's it's fantastic in that in that regard. So we got some guys shooting it that way now too. It didn't. You know, I will tell you, it takes some getting used to. But once you mm-hmm. get used to that that style, making sure you're not punching yourself in the face, you, you'll be you'll be all right. So how does it how does it work um, when you're? I know a lot of back tension releases maybe use that thumb button as a, as a safety. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does it work with drawing um, the bow in that simultaneous positioning? Um, you have to draw it. As if you're shooting a hinge, but mm-hmm. you can't anchor with your thumb. Basically, okay. you're going to shoot it like you would um, a thumb release, but with your with your weight on the inside uh, of the of the release. Because typically, whenever you shoot a, a hinge, you know you put the weight, put like seventy five percent of the weight on the inside of the string, so it's not rotating the handle. Mm-hmm. You would do the same thing. You'd have a little more straight. Um, and then you draw it in, you level it out, and then you squeeze the two together. Um, okay. And that's how that works. And then when, it, when it's in, the, when it's in the, the hinge position, that thumb is stationary. If it's just strictly in the, in the hinge position, it's that mm-hmm. thumb is stationary, and you can anchor in that. And it works pretty good when it's both the pins are out, when neither, a pin is not in either hole. It works pretty good. Mm-hmm. But um, it's not for everybody, but I think it will find a home for some guys that really like that end of it. So you think that would favor maybe a more experienced shooter, someone that's pretty, you know, familiar with a thumb or a, a back tension release? Yeah, it will, it will favor a man that has, or I'm sorry, a person that has good mechanics on their draw cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, some guys just grab the bow and they just anchor down. You know, yep. they're, they just bear right into an anchor down, and their form when they draw isn't consistent. So mm-hmm. it's not going to be conducive to those guys. Um, it's it's the it's the man or woman that has that consistent draw cycle that they've had because they shoot a lot or they shoot competitively or that's just the way they shoot. It's gonna it's gonna favor them much better. Mm-hmm. And so you know a hinge will too because you got to watch what you're doing with it. any hinge in the market doesn't just mean ours. You you rotate a little bit and then it's it's off to the races that that airs down in the woods going. So, right. Yeah. I've done that a couple of times. First time I ever shot it. It's like, man, I lost three brand new arrows. So I'm like, well, I'm going to stop using this for a while. Yeah. Until I get it down. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. I got it down. <laughs> so, uh, moving here to the next one, that's kind of fascinating me at the, mo- at the moment, which is funny because it's called the moment. Um, you know, is this hook style release? This is something I've seen. Um, I think it's from, I think spot hog makes one. Um, called the wise guy and this mm-hmm. one the is it leather that's on the moment handle or or on the wrist strap what is that material because it just looks really really premium and so oh, i just yeah, wanted to yeah. talk a little yeah. bit about that one yep oh yeah our premiere series it's it, we have premium leather on on all of our series mm-hmm. um the moment is our is our hook style um uh, before we bought cobra in uh uh 2017 july 2017 um cobra never had a had a hook you know, and and the three basic releases out there in index trigger is a double caliper, a single caliper, and and a hook style. Mm-hmm. And the beauty with the hook is, um, 
one, there's there's basically no D loop wear because it's yeah. not ever wedging between anything. And also it's the cleanest release because that hook rotates completely out of the way and doesn't impede the the straight line of the D loop in your arrow at all. So and and you it can a little bit, no matter who you have with a single caliper or double caliper, are you and I gonna be able to tell? I, I don't shoot that good personally to be able to tell the difference but guys that can really shoot good they can tell um mm -hmm. i can't because i'm not that good but um you know everything i do i gear towards towards deer hunting i'm i'm not a spot shooter i used to be years right. ago i used to use be a spot shooter but um yeah we developed the the hook style in uh august of 17 and brought it out in 18 mm -hmm. um it's a workhorse it's built like a tank um and it shoots very, very well. Yeah, that's something something that I, that I, I really want to try it out. I haven't got to yet. But um, an issue I had with my previous releases is that, that they, they would be held onto the actual wrist strap with a, like a cheap piece of, of like looked like a little piece of leather. And I've ripped, I've ripped so many of those by shooting, you know, like okay. hundreds of times. So the moment looks like it's just like you said a workhorse it looks strong and it yeah. looks like it's built to last yeah it is and everything everything that we build here is going to be very tankish mm -hmm. uh, i have a tendency to over design everything i always have i just uh over design everything and make it heavier than it actually should be yeah um, and and that and you'll see those designs coming forward um they're going to be uh small but they're going to be very very powerful depending on what kind of metals we want to use. Um, and that was the Premier Series. Um, they're top of the line. They're fantastic. Uh, we build them to, to last. We build them for, for low wear um, and, and repetition. So, yeah. It, yeah. And then also on the, on the new Premier Series of wrist straps, they're wider. So they don't, they know they're not going to create any more pinch points. Sometimes guys will have it, the ladies will have it around their wrist. And, and uh, we want it a little bit wider. So there's not as hard pressure points. And we got the mm -hmm. neat premium interior, so it, it, le it alleviates the pressure, and it comes in it really nice. It does. That's great. Yeah, really, really excited about uh, shooting that one in the future. Um, but maybe we can move on to the youth releases. You came out with a bunch of youth releases. I'm not sure if it was – I think it was last year um, at the ATA show um, in a bunch of d cool different colors. Um, so maybe you could just talk a little bit about those. Yeah, sure. We uh, Last year uh, for the for 18 – uh, we come out with uh, the five, four different colors, and up to this point, no one had a full release color. I mean, it was usually maybe just a stitching or maybe just a head, and we wanted to have uh, two unisex colors, uh, two gender colors. So uh, we did the the green, the blue, the orange, and the purple, and of course we made them, you know, grape, uh, carrot, broccoli and uh was a blueberry so we wanted to have kids colors with you know and get the kids involved so we brighten the colors up the wrist strap the stitching the velcro the head the calipers um it's all the same color so you know the kids really like it um some of the big box stores have been selling really well with certain colors um our our pro shops our local pro shops across the country They've been doing well with them. The kids come in, they see the colors, and it just jumps out of them. And then, you know, they want them. And I would, too, if I was a kid, you know. Mm -hmm. So we did that. And, and for 2020, we'll have some more products specifically for the youth. 
uh, to help them out. Uh, you know, that's our next generation, and that's our next generation of shooters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the sport of archery. Um, I can't imagine not bow hunting. You know, uh, been bow hunting for 36 years now, and and, uh, and I was a rifle hunter too, um, and enjoyed rifle hunting. But um, just me, I just kind of, I kind of outgrew it, and just I'm strictly a bow hunter only now for the past probably 15. 15 yeah. years, something like that. Um, and it's, well, it is what it is. I just absolutely love it. So I just, um, nothing against rifle hunting. I love rifle hunting. had a great time rifle hunting. It's just, uh, you know, I just outgrew it. And personally, I'm just a strictly just a bow hunter. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I haven't transitioned to that quite yet. Um, but I definitely want to. And in, in the future, I, I love bow hunting. Yeah, and um, it's not really right. You know, a lot of guys still yeah. rifle hunt and, and bow hunt and muzzleloader, and, and it's all good. There's no judgment on my. Hey, listen, whatever you want to do is, you're happy. I'm happy. That's what. Mm-hmm. So, you know, no judgment whatsoever. It's just uh, where I sit. Yeah. No, definitely. So, um, just moving on over here to the hunting aspect um, of this. You know, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the most memorable hunt you've had. I, I you know, this is kind of funny. Some of the most memorable hunts, none of them resulted resulted in a trophy whatsoever. Um, mm-hmm. I had a hunt. It was early nineties, ninety ninety one. I had an absolute horrible season, and I mean horrible season. It was struggle after struggle after struggle. If I didn't screw something up. I had some kind of mechanical failure or some kind of, just something. It was mm-hmm. just one of those seasons where if it could go wrong, it absolutely did. I learned a lot that season, what to do and not, not to do. And you know, I was hunting for six weeks. I probably spent 35 days in the tree stand in that, in that six weeks. And it was, I mean, all day kind of stuff. Yeah. Just struggling, you know, struggling, struggling, struggling. And it come down to the last day. Okay, and I'm in Pennsylvania. I hadn't been hunting out west at that point. So when you're in Pennsylvania, you know, you can't be looking for any trophies. You got to be, you take what the good Lord gives you and, and you're happy with it. Now, mm-hmm. things have changed and it's gotten better. But back then, man, you may get one, maybe two. And if you're really lucky, maybe three opportunities at a whitetail buck. So you better make it, make it count. And I didn't. And it come down to the last day, the last evening. The last hour, the last five minutes. And I was frozen in my tree all day. I looked at my watch. I had five minutes to go. I thought, well, I guess I'll be rifle hunting this year. And I'm starting to think where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do. I'm like, oh, man, this is a tough season. And off of the distance, I saw a deer coming. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I, I hope it's got antlers, man. I do. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it walked to me. It walked right down. I thought, oh, my gosh, it's got, it's got antlers. Oh my gosh, it's actually legal. You know, it came right down to me, 15 yards. I drew, it stood there forever, wouldn't give me a shot. I thought I was gonna, my arm was gonna break in half. And then he stepped forward one step, 15 yards, pow, and I whacked him. He went up the mountain and stumbled the whole way back down the mountain, fell dead at the base of my tree, right below me. I looked at my watch, I had three minutes of shooting like left. It was 4.57. I was getting down at 5 o'clock on the last day. And that thing was only a three-point, but it could have been a, a 2.20. Mm-hmm. I was so ecstatic. I was out of my mind. 
And that, you know, and anybody ever asked me what was your best hunts, it always goes back to that three point. Yeah. You know, I had a great hunt one time out in Iowa. Oh, it's probably five, six years ago. It didn't end in success. I did a spot and stalk by accident last day, last evening. I spotted a set of antlers in the in the high CRP, and I got down and spent an hour sneaking up on it. I had two buck walk up on me on my hands and knees, looking down at me at like six yards, wondering what I was doing. The wind's blowing really hard. The snow's flying. I thought, well, here we go. And he stood up at 25 yards to look at these other buck. And I could see him perfect. I knew exactly where it was then. And they laid back down. Well, I made the mistake of going, well, why did he lay back down? Never thought of it. Well, there's only one reason he's going to lay back down in the first week of November. There's a girl with him. And it didn't even dawn on me. I was so concentrated on getting close to that deer. And that was 25 yards. And I didn't shoot. It was a little bit of grass between him and I, so I didn't shoot. So he didn't spot me. I stayed hidden. So that, well, I get within 15, 12 yards or so. And then I'll just wait for him to stand up. But right before dark, I'll probably stand up. Well, I got 15 yards from her. And I got within five of it. And she jumped up and snorted at me and stood there and snorted and snorted and snorted. And of course, they both of them bounded off. He was, I got to see him clear then. He was 160s in the mid 160s, giant white rack, real sharp tips on his hand, on his tines. But that, for an hour, I thought my heart was going to pound out of my chest because I was creeping up on him and creeping up on him and creeping up on him. And the adrenaline flow just keeps getting higher and higher and higher. That was one of my best hunts ever. I, it ended in complete failure. <laughs> right. No, that's crazy. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't have any, any spot and stock stories like that. That's just something I'm just now getting into. Um, yeah. That's a lot do of more of it. Yeah, no, definitely. I did an antelope punt this last this last fall and, and man it's so different it's so it's how a problem how was it for you um it's it's really interesting so they're really curious creatures um you know that they, they'll respond to a decoy you know you throw a decoy up 150 yards away and they'll come in 80 yards and then you know just wondering poking their head out and but they're with a, it was with a bow and it's completely flat um so you know they're typically going to see you Read a ground blind near water or anything? Or? Uh, yeah, so we were, we tried that originally, and then um, basically what had happened is it rained for three days, and they'll just drink out of puddles in the road at that point. Um, so, you know, when you do that, then it turns into a spot and stock hunt, and we started doing that, and it always seemed like they would they would see you before you had time to flash the decoy. And it's like when they see you then, you know, they still see an antelope, so they're intrigued and curious. Right. But – but at that point they're like you know i saw you first so i'm not yeah. i'll come check it out a little bit but i'm not going to come you know i'm not going to come check it out all the way so right. yeah it was it was fun um humbling experience for sure but yeah. something i'd like to do small animal too so you got to be on your game on hitting i mean you can't really hump an arrow you can't bomb arrows out there really far because they're a small target exactly and i i only had a i had a four pen sight and it was like man 50 50 is my max and so i was like yeah. this after that i was like i'm getting a single pin for next year because i want to i want to elk hunt too so that's going to be one of my additions next year and then shooting a shooting a thumb or a back tension release i think is going to help me quite a bit too yeah, absolutely um, for accuracy wise but um so you talk about being you know a whitetail hunter for 30 plus years so you talked about whitetail body language and what, what do you mean or how do you read a whitetail's body language or maybe his personality per se well, 
I, I've always that's one thing that's always intrigued me is, is mm -hmm. watching watching whitetail and watching how they interact and how they socialize with each other. Um, growing up on the farm, I used to, you know, from like middle of July up until archery season, I had a big map that I drew on my bedroom wall of our farm and the surrounding farms. And I had a journal. I would take that journal out each evening or just about each evening and watch where the deer come out and watch how them interact. And I would jot down the temperature. I would jot down the weather. I would jot down the time, the amount of deer I saw, where I saw them, where they were coming from and where they were going to. And after you, you do that for a number of years, it really starts to create a pattern on how deer move. Now, mm -hmm. I was super old school. This is long before trail cameras were even thought of, you know, I was just out yeah. there. And I, we, you know, we have a couple of streams around the farm there. And I would go down to the bank of the, the, on the streams and I would take a garden rake and, you know, I would rake the banks clean of, of deer tracks. And I'd get within 15, 20, sometimes 30 yards away the pair of binoculars. And I'd, I'd look at the stream banks to see how often they're going by, counting the footprints, where they're going. Just that was my own personal trail cameras back then. You know, you just look right. at, you know. And then you start looking at how deer actually move through the woods. And they can really tell you a lot on their personality. It depends on their, their cadence, you know, how fastly they're walking through the woods, how casual they're walking through the woods, how much they're looking around, how much they're browsing. Are they attentive? Are they asleep at the wheel? Are they out of their minds on fire looking for dough? Or are they, you know, looking for dough and they don't really care if they find one or not? Um, are they a dominant buck? You can sometimes tell. And sometimes you could see a buck that you would think would be the biggest boy in the woods, and he's a monster. But you hit him with a grunt tube, and you put him in the next county. So when you see a body, the body language of an animal coming in, um, that's the first thing I look for to see how quickly they stop and they start their motions. I can tell you a lot about it. It sounds kind of crazy, but if you, if you study how they move, how they move their head, how they move their ears, it can tell you a lot about their temperament mm -hmm. and, and how spooky they are or not how spooky they are. You know, just a, just a quick thing I learned way back is if a deer's walking through the woods, just something simple, and he stops to look around, if his front legs are separated, one's in front of the other, or they're side by side, if they're one in front of the other, he may not stand there back there very long. But if they're side, he's, he's comes to a stop and he's got his legs side by side, mm -hmm. he's poised to stand there a while. Right. So... If he comes to a full, if he comes to a stop, and his legs are side by side, and he's looking around, you might be able to draw down him when he was not looking because he's going to be there a while. But if he stops, and his legs are spread, yeah, he might want to keep moving shortly. So you got to watch when you draw down on him, and that's that's something minor, but that's the kind of stuff that helps you determine if you need to try and get a shot or find an opportunity sooner in the encounter because sometimes. A buck will come in, and he'll just be as lazy as a coonhound, just laying around. And you have all day to shoot at him because that's his personality. He doesn't. He doesn't really do much. Mm -hmm. Some are lazy. Some deer aren't. Some deer like to fight. Some deer don't. You can have a giant buck that doesn't want to fight because he's timid. You know. Yeah, I always like to look at. Um, you get a deer. We always do post mortem and check everything out. But I always like to see how rubbed their antlers are. It's a good indication of how much testosterone they got through going through their system. Because every animal is going to be different. It, yeah. It's just 
the way God made them, you know. Some of them, you know, are going to be out of their minds rubbing every tree they find. And some buck will be like, yeah, uh, you know, I'll be looking for girls in a couple weeks, but I'm not going to be destroying every tree I find. And that's just their temperament. And they're easier. It, it gives you an advantage on how to possibly call them in. This is just me and, and my own personal experience. I'm not saying I'm right or I'm perfect or I know everything. It's just yeah. my personal experience of, of doing this for that long. You know, um, it may not take much to call in that gentle deer. Just let him know you're in the neighborhood. You can see him bumping once with the grunt tube and just wait 20 minutes and just watch him, see what he does. He might, he might swing over, he might not. But uh, the, the, the deer that's out of his mind and he's destroying everything, uh, you give him a little snort wheeze, just enough to let him know where you're at. His eyes may bulge and he might destroy five trees and come stomping right over. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, I, I've had deer ready that um, I killed him one time. It was the strangest thing. I had a really nice 10 point come in. Um, I called him. He didn't, he didn't care. He didn't care anything about it. And um, as he was walking away, uh, I snort wheezed him. He, he didn't care about that either, you know. He hit him with a bleed, nothing. And just as he got out of sight, so, I, so he couldn't see what I was doing, I took the antlers and just banged them together once and put them back. He laid his ears down, and he come down to me, and he was mad. He was mad. He wanted to destroy everything around him. He came right down to six yards, and what I do? I missed him clean at six yards. He went flying up the bank. He stood there at 17, looking around like, he, what happened? What happened? And then he laid his ears back down. And then he got bristled up again and he came right back down the bank and I knocked him out. <laughs> I shot him at 13. Goodness. <laughs> yeah. So every deer is different. Um, but you know, who would have thought he would have turned on a dime on, on antlers if he didn't, if the snortways didn't get him. Yeah. But it did. And, uh, you know, it was his fatal move. Of course it took me two times to get to him, but I got to him. So, yeah, but yeah, the body language has, has always been my key to watching deer because you'll see you'll see a buck snort wheeze doe in right because yeah. you know sometimes they just don't give them attention and they get mad at them. it's a it's a crazy dynamic on how you approach them just by on their body language alone yeah so you can use you're using their body language uh, to determine you know what your next move is exactly. so it's kind of a reactionary thing yep. right yep exactly because they come out the, they've come out and say they come out in the food plot and they're just just hanging, just eating, coming out, get some chow, nothing going on, you know, not looking for girls, just um, the subtlest curiosity of hitting them with a grunt tube really, really, really quiet, just enough for them to hear it, to go, hey, there's a deer over there, but I can't see him. I know he's over there somewhere, but I can barely hear him. I've killed a bunch of buck doing that early season calling them in just by letting them know gently uh, there's another deer over here mm -hmm. in, in some form or fashion. And they come over and check it out and, and you get an opportunity to get a, get an air in them. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's crazy. No, that it, that's awesome. Yeah. That's something I really haven't thought about um, a lot is, is using the personality, you know, to determine, you know, what my next move is. Cause you know, some, like you said, some deer, um, you know, he might be the biggest, the biggest buck in the woods and he, but he might not be the bully, you know, right, I've exactly. seen, I've seen young bucks be the bully. Yeah, absolutely. We, yeah, my neighbor killed one two years ago. I mean a giant. That deer hardly rubbed any of his antlers at all. Uh, nothing. We didn't see him all season. 
he showed up. He ended up killing him with a rifle. Um, we didn't see him in in archery season anywhere. But all the all the barbs down the base of his antlers, and he was huge. And you would think if he was rubbing, he'd have all it stuck in there because it stays in there for nothing. No wear marks or nothing. Like this guy doesn't even rub anything. Yeah. And, you know, and 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 he shot him by pure accident. He, he'll tell you that today. It was he backed into that one, but. I don't think no one saw him chasing girls. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, no, that's interesting. So, um, I assume, I assume is whitetail your favorite species to hunt? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so why, why would that be, you know, what is it about whitetail that you, that just infatuates you that you just love hunting them every year? I, I think it's me. I, I think they're, they're the hardest. I think they're the hardest. I really do. You get a, you get a five and a half year old, North of five and a half, even four and a half of the smart ones. They're they're the most difficult to get, mm-hmm. especially in Pennsylvania where it's high pressure. And there's people everywhere. I mean, if you can actually hunt a mature whitetail in Pennsylvania and and get after, I mean, you're that's tough to do because these deer in Pennsylvania are skittish. Yeah, they really are. That you can't you can't hardly call them. You gotta you gotta really hit them just right with their personality on what they want to hear to get them to you. I hunt out West every year and you know, the deer are more caliber out there. They don't see as many people. They just don't. Um, you know, I've been going out there, what, 15 plus years. And, and you know, I go where there's basically nobody. So they yeah. don't see a lot of pressure. So they're going to react a little different, but here in PA, it, it's hard to, it's hard to kill them. And I just love, I love watching them grow. I love putting food plots in. I love studying. Mm-hmm. I like their interaction. I just like to watch everything, you know, just everything about them is just, um, I, I, I think they're the hardest. Could I be wrong? Could I be wrong? But I just think that in, in Pennsylvania, it's high pressure to get him and you're doing something. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what I like to do, you know, and one of my other great favorites to, to hunt is Northern Pike. I love the Northern Pike fish. I just, mm-hmm. that's, I'd love one up, up North and, and getting after northern pike no, that yeah. Sounds... yeah it's my two favorite right there yeah that's awesome no it's really interesting I, t- I had a um an author of a book called crimson arrows a bow hunting odyssey on the podcast and he's hunted north america canada and africa and killed almost every north american big game animal and i was like you know why do you enjoy hunting whitetail and he said he said you know honestly i really think they're the hardest you know and it's interesting because from my perspective, only growing up hunting, you know, whitetail for the most part, I'm like, you know, I bet it only gets harder from here. And he told me, he's like, that's just really not the case. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I'll never not want to do that. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So one more question, um, um, from a hunting perspective, I want to talk a little bit about thumb and back tension versus traditional wrist strap um so what are the advantages of shooting a thumb or a back tension for hunting versus a wrist strap like most people would use well it's going to be control and consistency Mm -hmm. um you know there's a reason why the guys in the tournament shooters they shoot a thumb and they shoot a hinge um because there's more control consistency which results in inaccuracy um I, I wouldn't recommend to shoot a hinge for, for when you're hunting mm-hmm. unless it's a stationary target. Like if you're hunting hogs over bait or if you have yeah. an animal, yeah, you, you're okay. You know, you could, the hinge would be probably fine because you got that animal 
it's going to sit there and possibly feed in that same position for, you know, a minute or two. So yeah. a hinge would be okay. I don't recommend it because there's just too many things that can go wrong with gear and clothing and, and you're never in the same position as you are on that line shooting at spots. You know, your, your body position is completely different in some degree. It's going to be different. So uh, a thumb to me would be the ideal way, um, to hunt whitetail. I, I shoot a thumb release for mm-hmm. whitetail. Um, well, I shoot a thumb release for everything, but, um, uh, it's just a more consistent feel. I'd like to be able to, uh, feel it. You're going to have a, a, a more consistent form setting as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helps with the, the control. It helps with, with the, the ease of operation of, of kind of everything. It's just yeah. better control and you can, and you can shoot a thumb in different ways, not just hitting with your thumb. You can kind of rock into it where your hand relaxes and you let your thumb as you roll into it with your shoulder it it can go off too so there's a various ways to shoot a thumb release and not just laying your thumb on it and shooting it there's different ways that you can grip it slightly and then just twist your body your shoulder in 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 a hinge style and it'll it'll put pressure and it'll go off so you can do it that way too i know a lot of guys do that especially if you're going to go out west and you're going to go out and and shoot shoot antelope you know and you're going to be bombing them out there 50 60 yards yeah guys can deal with it with an index finger. Sure. There's lots of guys that do and do every year and God bless them. But I, I don't have that kind of talent to, to mm-hmm. hump arrows that, that far with that kind of confidence. And I, that's why I would go to a, a thumb release. I can just anchor in a little bit better, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, everybody's different, uh, but the consistency and uh, accuracy is, is where it comes from. You know, if it, yeah. if it wasn't, if it wasn't, you'd see the guys in the tournament, the tournament series in, in you know, the championships shooting a, a wrist strap. You know, they're going to go where, where the consistency in the form is going to be the best to create better accuracy. Right. Now, one thing I think about, too, um, is a big issue that I've seen um, from myself is, you know, you're practicing just fine with your wrist strap. You know, shots are feeling good. You get out in the woods and you pull back and immediately all, as soon as you see that pin on it, you just want to punch. Like you yeah. just want to punch the trigger and you just want it to go. Yeah. And what I've noticed from switching to a thumb release is, is that's not going to happen. Like you're not going to be able to just punch it. And if you punch it, you might not even hit the bag, you know? And so you have to get that consistent anchor and you have to pull that elbow back, like as it, as if it's on a shelf and and a surprise shots different for someone that shoots a wrist strap. Cause you know, you know, when that's going to go off. And so, um, just from a, maybe a target panic perspective, it, it helps so much in, in terms of you can't just, you have to let it surprise you. You can't just punch it like a pulling a rifle trigger. Yeah, because you just create bad habits and it'll just it'll turn into a nightmare on you, and it does. And 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 I've seen guys go through it, but you know if you if you anchor in, I think one of the things that that a lot of bow hunters do out there is they don't realize how much time they actually do have to shoot. Yeah. At at an opportunity, say that deer comes in, he gives you an opportunity to shoot. A lot of guys will draw, and the second they get that pin on that deer, they let the arrow fly. Right. One thing I always tell the, the new hunters, <clears throat> excuse me, I tell them to test it. Test how long an animal stays when you stop them. So say you have a doe coming through and you want to go, okay, if I had to shoot her, how would I do it? She comes by, hit her with a little bleep, this little doe bleep, just to get her to stop. And then count. One, two, three. Just count. 
And you get the 17 go, oh, my gosh, I'd have all day to shoot it. Mm-hmm. But most guys, the second you hit them with, with the bleep and they stop, they feel like they got to get an arrow off or she's going to move or he's going to move or whatever. Take your time. And you know what? If he moves, then you don't shoot. But go through your cycle and your form and your stance. Let that pin settle and just relax and shoot. I used to do – I used to rush my shot when I yeah. was a punk kid. And, you know, some worked out, some didn't. And I'm like, you know, Jake, just start timing these deer. Start timing them. So I did. I would start timing. I'd stop them just to stop them with whatever. You know, make a sound. It could be an, uh, a strange sound, a spooky sound, a natural sound, just to see how long they stand there. And mm-hmm. if you count your, in your seconds, man, is that your confidence go up? You're like, well, I know if I stop him, he's going to look around for 35 seconds. I get all day to shoot him. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, if he's out of his he's on a mission he's he's going through the woods like crazy well he might not stay as long but plenty of time to shoot because you if you're drawn down and you get him to stop you settle and shoot you're you're six eight seconds you're fine you're fine yeah yeah definitely yeah i think that is a that's a big issue um with people bow hunting i'm just wondering can you give us a little bit more um insight into you know what's next for cobra well in the summer here um for well coming in for 2020 um, we'll have a, uh, uh, fishing line. So okay. we're going to branch into the, to the fishing side of things, which, you know, folks in this, in this industry won't, won't be aware of it, but we've been testing, um, so a fishing lure, a spoon, um, mm-hmm. for, oh, it's been years now. Um, and it's a fantastic spoon that we're going to introduce and it's going to be for sizes from panfish the whole way up to Northerns. Okay. Yeah. It's And we're going to, we're going to branch in, in that direction. I think there's some opportunity there just because of the uniqueness of it. Um, I think we'll, we'll be fine there. It's, it's going to be a strong, it's a, it's a spoon. It'll be strong. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, for going forward for, for Cobra, um, we got some, some new innovative products going to be coming in that out then, you know, next year and for the next three or four, we easily have. And I got, I have a backlog of designs um, that I haven't, I have sketched and drawn, but ha- haven't developed that we need to put, you know, further attention on making sure they're going to be going in, in the right direction. And we'll probably do some, some more collaboration with, um, uh, with other, uh, groups out there, um, in the industry. We want to, want to do that as well. That's always fun to do. And, you know, building specific releases like we did for Heartland Bowhunter, we have a release specifically for them. Mm-hmm. Um, we have another group of mine that we'd like to do the same thing for them. So, you know, we just plan on, and it's not just going to be releases. We want to move on to other accessories as well, mm-hmm. that we do have some really, really innovative things in the other, in the other accessories as well. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to doing that. I really, really am. Awesome. All right, guys. So if anyone's listening, this is Jake major, the owner of Cobra archery. Um, I really appreciate it, Jake. Uh, thank you so much uh, for jumping yep. on the podcast. And I look forward to shooting some more Cobra products in the future. Um, and, you know, anytime you want to jump on, just let me know and we'll do it again. Okay. Thank you very much. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of the podcast with Jake Major of Cobra Archery. Make sure to check them out at CobraArchery.com.